Hey everybody, it's your girl Kaylee. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Podcast, um, or the Balanced Life. I keep forgetting that I changed the name. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate every time that you all listen and tune in. Like it's very much so appreciated. I am just a little girl who's fortunate that I have trying to let her voice be heard and you all listen. So I really appreciate it all. Um, so today we are joined by JP and we're going to explore his background and tackle some things. I'm also going to give him some time to tell you all about his book. Um, but this is going to be a fun chat. Um, this time we're going to kind of turn things on their head and I'm going to let him ask me some questions and I'll answer and then he'll also answer those questions as well but I thought it would be fun to kind of have someone ask me questions and me not do it all the time so we're gonna go ahead and dive in now so you're a journalist how long have you been one I've been a journalist almost exactly 10 years so I was in college excuse me I was in college um 10 years ago I was taking intro to news writing and I I celebrate the date every year. It's October. Now I'm forgetting, but it's somewhere between the 13th and the 17th. I turned in an assignment in that class and it actually wound up getting published. So I use that date as my official when you became a journalist. That was 2012. That's what's up. I remember 2012. I was starting college freshman year. Um, Yeah. So what inspired you to become a journalist? That's one I've never really had a good answer for. Um, I've been writing since I was very young. My mom, every day when I got home from school, um, the first thing she would do is give me something to eat. And I always had a notebook and she would make me write like a journal of my day. And so I've been writing since I was probably five or six, like in a really organized way. And my my career path kind of goes like, I liked music, so I thought I wanted to work in the music industry. And right out of high school, I got an internship at a radio station, like an FM station. And we had a news partner, a TV partner in Sacramento. Um, the station was 107.9 FM. And our news partner was Channel 10, ABC News. And so when I was at that internship, I saw that I liked news and like took my internship from music, trended more towards news and wound up working at a newspaper. So that's like my career path. But I I don't know, like I've always been into good storytelling, but I don't know. I don't have I have kind of like a haphazard story. I don't know exactly where I decided I was going to be a journalist. Yeah, no, I feel you. Um, I've been writing since I was like seven. I started writing like poems and small books. And my foray into my career as a recruiter, which I've never really stated that I'm a recruiter, but I am. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I just landed in there because I was an admin. And um, one day I just looked up at the sky and I said, I want to be an HR recruiting. And the next day it rolled open up and I got it. And that's how I got into it. So there was no real like inspiration. I just kind of like got into it one day and decided yeah like I kind of like this shit so yeah can I ask you a question now yeah are we saving that for later okay I'm curious and I feel like I should know this because I've been listening to the balanced life for years but how did you get into doing media um, if you're in like HR professional work Mm -hmm. yeah so 
it all started back in when you're talking about like turning papers it reminded me of sociology classes so for me I was learning so much in one of my sociology classes intro to social problems that I wanted to share with other people I was like I want them to learn what I'm learning and I want to um, hopefully create change and put out knowledge. And so I started with YouTube videos mm. and then I was like, Hmm, like, let me try out just doing the podcasting thing because doing videos is a little bit more time consuming. So that's yeah. how I got into podcasting. Okay, cool. My, uh, my auntie's going to love this episode. She's, um, she loved sociology in college and at one point changed her major to sociology. And she now is a recruiter for the University of California. So you guys are have a lot in common. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, I made sociology my minor in undergrad and then I got my master's in sociology. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So one question I wanted to ask you um, is based off the conversation we had prior to this recording. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if you said it was the president or the CEO of the network you're working for. But you remember that you said that they had a relationship with Trump. Um, did you know that prior to working there? No. So my book, Right Wing, um, is about my experience working at the One America News Network um, in San Diego. When I got the job, I lay all this out in the first chapter. I had been working with a TV station up in Sacramento, and <clears throat> I got laid off. Um, and I had to find a job quickly. So I just showed up in San Diego. I had a couple of friends who went to college here. It was um, right after Thanksgiving. So everyone was home visiting. And when they came back down here, I followed them. And I just took the first job in my industry that I could get. I didn't even, I'd never heard of One America before I applied for the job. So I, I didn't know at all what I was getting into. Right. And then... So when did you uncover that it was like a right wing station? Pretty early on, like the the news director told me during the interview that they had like a conservative audience. And, you know, that can mean a lot. That does that does that mean they're, you know, like more conservative, like in the, the people they interview or were they full on like right wing dogma, which is what it turned out to be. But I didn't know that at the time. And then. My first week on the job, I saw and heard some things from the owner of the network who was very present in the newsroom, which is unusual. Um, I don't know if people know that, but in newsrooms like TV, newspaper, where people create news, you don't usually see even upper management, much less like the CEOs, the executives, the ownership. But he had direct relationships with a lot of people. Um, I wasn't able to independently confirm this, uh, but other news organizations have reported that he's had at least one meeting with Trump in recent years. And I know for a fact he's had ongoing dialogue with other conservative politicians, like pretty prominent people in California government and I believe in Senate as well, like Congress members. Mm hmm. And so you said, like, you know, you didn't know which way they were leaning conservatively, like whether it's in terms of people they hire or in terms of like their media um, dogma, like you were mentioning. So what expectations did you have going in there? I was thinking more about my life and career. So I mentioned that it's in San Diego. It's a very beautiful place. So mostly when I got the job, I, I was 
not thinking about all of that. I was just excited that I was going to be able to live in a beautiful place, um, somewhere I'd wanted to for years. And also, I my main background is a newspaper writer. So now I'm a TV producer, and I've had a few years to get the hang of that. But at the time, I was just excited that I got a job in TV, that maybe if I stayed there for a year, I could hone my skills. I was newspaper, writing for newspaper is very different um, from TV. And I was having trouble. Um, I think that's part of the reason I got laid off at the last job. I was expendable. So I, I was thinking about my life and more like general career stuff, um, which is why I think like in the book, if you read it, anyone who reads it, I think that I did a good job of conveying that. Like a lot of this just came as a surprise. And I think if I had been more focused on like the job experience, I, I probably would have seen more of it coming. Got you. Got you. Um, so something that I read in chapter five of your book um, about the network, and I'm saying this in my own words, um, not <laughs> his, um, is that the network would take, you know, stories from other people um, and just, you know, use it as their own and not give credit. And that was kind of like a bold announcement or pronouncement to me. So how did you feel um, when you were saying that um, and sharing that knowledge in the book? Yeah, that was one of the things. So the book goes between like my own personal experience and my own like take on what I was going through. And then because I am a journalist, I sometimes have a habit of writing for journalists. This is one of those things that where I was trying to explain to other journalists and to people who are curious about how news is made, that things were just way different there. And sometimes, you know, if you watch your local news, um, like I'll keep using Sacramento as an example, because that's where I'm from. And when you when I watch local news, let's say Channel 3 in Sacramento is reporting on something that they didn't break the story, they might say, according to the Sacramento Bee or the Sacramento Bee, Sacramento News and Review, newspaper reports, like they're giving credit to the people that actually did the work to break the story. And at One America News, that wasn't the case. Um, I was actually told on multiple occasions not to give credit because they wanted to appear as if they were gathering all their information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I just, for me, like when I was reading that, I was like, whoa, like I thought that was like, you know, something. I'm glad that you called that out because um, I was like, you know, just straight up calling them out. And I thought that it was kind of bold, especially knowing I was going to go to print. Did you feel nervous about making that statement? I felt nervous like during the writing process, like how bold I wanted to be. Um mm -hmm. But as I like as time went on, like I felt like I was doing a good thing, like I was very proud of the book that I was able to put together. So some of that nervousness went away. Um, but yeah, you never know, like the book is out there. So you never know who might see it and get upset. Um, I mentioned a few people by name, but I tried to stay away from that because I didn't want it to be gossipy. I wanted people to understand how serious some of these things I was writing about were, but yeah, you never know. Um, it's been out about six months now and that's, that's not a long time. So if, if the, if a copy winds up in the right or wrong person's hands, depending 
on how you view it. I might have a little bit of drama, but I, I'm, I feel good about what I did and I know legally whatnot I'm covered. I told the truth and cited sources and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're good legally, that's all that matters. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought, like I said earlier, like I just thought that was a good thing for you to do, like you're saying. Um, and as I mentioned to you, like when I started this show, it was about like, you know, instilling knowledge and trying to create change. And for me, it also shifted into a show with certain episodes where I call out, you know, systemic issues and I call out, you know, people for their problematic behaviors. And sometimes you have to do things like that in order to do the right thing in life in order to, you know, I'm kind of losing my words here, but I think you get what I'm saying. Definitely. How do you feel when you do that? Because I've I mentioned I have been listening to you for a long time. Um, that's one of the reasons I like you. But what what do you feel when you're about to call something out? Yeah. So when I'm about to call something out, I would say I feel, you know, like I used to feel nervous, but nowadays it's like it's nothing to me. Like when I step to this mic, I always have something to say and I'm always going to be truthful and I'm always going to be honest and I'm going to be keeping it 100. So, you know, for me, it's nothing to do it now. But I would say originally, like you, I had like initial nerves, but they've they've gone away like. It doesn't bother me. Like, I know that what I'm doing is the right thing to do. I'm doing it for a reason. I'm doing it for a cause. Like, I'm here to be a vessel, like, for the betterness and of the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I um, I, I think I'm as confident as you are when I think I'm doing the right thing. Sometimes I wonder, though if if I'm having a level head, like I know I can be righteous, like have the right cause and that I'd be calling out something that needs to be called out and I have the right people in my corner. But sometimes I wonder, like, should I sleep on this kind of thing? And then maybe like take, take a different approach or not say something like, because you can make the right point and the way people receive it isn't productive. So I sometimes think about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because it was at this one job where we um, had a chat on intention versus impact. And we talked about how the impact outweighs the intention. But at the same time, I mean, people are going to receive things how they receive things. But I think when you're speaking truth and you're speaking with pureness and a level of being genuine that, you know, the impact is, you know, people are going to perceive it how they do, but I feel like that impact, it's, it's going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I follow you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, and just another, like, to add on to what you were saying or the question that you asked me. So for me, like, you're saying you got to sleep on it and stuff like that. So for me, like, most of my podcast episodes are, like, fairly structured. I sit there and I type out what I'm going to say or what question I'm going to ask. Um, 
today I'm kind of winging it. And in the next episode, I will too, because that's a more personal episode coming up. So mm-hmm. y'all tune into that. Um, and, you know, I think that helps me um, figure out what I want to say, how I want to say it, and if I'm okay with saying it. Um, but with my next episode coming up, like I said, it's going to be more personal. So I'm not writing as many notes. I'm not writing prompts because it's going to be kind of like this, like a conversation between two people. I'm going to have one of my best friends on the show and we're just going to discuss what's really going on in my life. Mm. And we're going to discuss it just raw and honest and truthful. Um, and I was sitting here like trying to put bullet points together and I was just like, what am I really comfortable with sharing? Mm-hmm. And I realized that, you know, I don't always like, you know, I don't always have to be so structured. Like I think sometimes it'll just come to you. And you'll just know. Yeah. Um, that is something to say. That something needs to be heard. But yeah. So back on topic. Um, when I was reading that part in chapter five about how they, you know, would take someone else's, you know, story and just kind of peddle it as their own and not give credit for me. Um, and it's totally like a tangent, but for me, it dropped, it brought up like parallels to cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. just from my view, um, because, you know, here you have like this group um, that, you know, they take something from someone else and then, you know, they take and then they credit it as their own. And it just reminded me of how, you know, with black people, like we create something and then other groups take it as their own and then they don't give that credit back. So it just drew that parallel to me. And, you know, I also thought about cultural appropriation because when you think of conservatives, like, yeah, there's black conservatives, there's like Latinx conservatives, but they're mostly white. And so it's just being a white group taking someone else's, you know, story and, you know, peddling off as their own and not giving credit. It just reminded me of that. Definitely. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even draw that parallel until you laid it out there, but, um, something else I would add on to what you said is a lot of the places that one America was taking their information from and not giving credit were places that they had like an adversarial relationship with. So um, when I'm writing, the time I'm writing about is 2018. So Trump was in office and he would always talk about the New York Times specifically by name um, fake news, just in general, liberal media, and One America would take that tone, um, like that they were better than these, some of these other outlets because they weren't liberal, because they were telling the truth. And that was some of the same, like I lay it out in the book, um, the New York Times specifically, that that was one of the places they were taking information from. And like as a Black person, you definitely know, like not only are people using our things um and like profiting from them or use it like weaponizing them against us but the like they're constantly like putting us down too and that's it's, i would say it's uh I, I didn't make that comparison at all until you brought it up so good observation 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, now that I've kind of drawn that kind of parallel that's rooted in racism, I just want to kind of dive in to the racism that you experienced both overt and covert. So can you just share with us like your encounters? Encounters, yeah. So I spent a lot of time by myself um, in that newsroom. Um, that's just kind of my attitude at work in general. Um, like in corporate spaces, I usually keep to myself. But especially there, just because it was such a toxic and racist environment, I would come in, I would keep headphones on, I would get my work done and, you know, maybe take a break, go outside, get some fresh air. There were a couple other people there who who I didn't mind talking to. Um, actually, like one of the there were three other black employees there that I knew during my tenure. And one of them is still one of my best friends. We both we both left. We were both able to get out of there. But um, occasionally we'd have like some group discussion in the newsroom. And then later on. Um, like in my tenure, I was spending a lot of time by myself. That was another thing. I felt very isolated. Like you were asking me about the racism I experienced, like covert and overt. Um, not as much overt. You know, people would say things not to be like directly intimidating or disrespectful to me, but they were just ignorant. So they would say things that were ignorant and I would be around sometimes. And the main thing, though, was how isolated I felt. Um, like when I got in there, as I mentioned, I was excited, like I was very upbeat. I was excited about like what was going to happen in my life. So the workplace could only take so much of a toll because I'm trying to live a balanced life like you. But um, yeah, like over time, like when you're in an environment like that, five days a week, eight hours a day, it, I didn't want to engage because I, I knew there was nothing really productive that could come of it. And I didn't want to put anything else in jeopardy by like getting fired or whatever. So I just felt really isolated. And that that did start to take a toll. Um, I was feeling depressed some days, uh, obviously, like moving. You're in a new city. I hadn't made a lot of friends here. So there were some days where I was having to take walks after work and get my mind right or call a friend or family just to vent or, you know, hear someone's voice that was happy to hear mine. Gotcha. Because I was just going to ask you if you ever, well, you said you would call like someone that's happy to hear your voice and things like that. But did you ever like communicate how you were feeling and what you were going through? To, to friends and family, yes, but not at work. I just didn't feel like it would be productive. I, I didn't think anyone would care. And the like the most likely outcome there would better put me at risk for termination or like some type of retaliation. So at work, not really, no. But other people did understand what I was going through. Yeah. So you shared it with your circle. So and obviously they were receptive. So what do you think? I'm trying to figure out how I want to ask this. So why do you think they were so receptive? Like, you know, we talk about um, emotions and how people feel and we talk about perceptions and we talk about, um, you know, how people perceive things and things like that. Um, so when you're sharing your mental health experiences, especially like the depression and things like that, things that have a stigma attached to it, 
why do you think they were receptive to it? How were they receptive? How did it go well? Things like that. Hopefully you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think some of them were receptive because they had gone through similar things in the workplace. Um, Corporations are not friendly really to anyone, um, but especially to, you know, black professionals, we tend to have the same kind of problems in those environments. And I do think though, and this is not like to blame anyone or, or say that they were even in error in any way, but some of my friends and family, maybe I didn't quite understand the severity of some of the things I went through until they read the book, because number one, it's not their experience. So they're not in it every day, even if they can relate to it. But also I had good news too. Um, I was able to share positive things that were happening in my new city, in my life. And they were excited about those things and they're, you know, good, kind-hearted, positive people. So you don't, when you, even when you share some negative, they're, they're going to want to focus on the happier things. They're going to be more excited to hear those things. And, and they were. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Let's see. So something that I wanted to point out and I think it was in chapter nine, but perhaps it was in chapter five. Um, a colleague stated that they were being attacked simply because of who I am, a Republican white male. And with that, <laughs> I want to point that out because so many from that demographic nowadays are feeling, and I'm using air quotes, attacked. And mm-hmm. honestly, Truth and accountability aren't attacks. Um, it's interesting that they feel attacked because of their identity mm-hmm. when the identity was created by them to facilitate their rise to power. Right. Um, and they default to victimhood when faced with a mere, like, you know, often, like I said, truthful words or accountability, whereas women and Black people in the LGBTQ community have, you know, had to you know um have their lives and lost their lives due to their identity so it's just kind of like you know you hear the phrase like snowflake and I'm like who is the real snowflake like they can't handle truth and accountability they feel attacked by it and it's like no black people lgbtq people you know qia um women like lost their lives or they've been truly attacked because of their identity so to me it was just kind of like the audacity of him to make that comment definitely yeah so i just grabbed a copy of the book in front of me this chapter 10 it's called keyboard crusaders okay 10 okay yeah i named that one because i think um some of your audience will be just as interested in it as you are and i want to add on to what you said about so it's a chapter where it happened Um, While I was working at One America, a white, um, very like openly conservative um, male who actually was hired the same week as me and we trained together and he spent about half my tenure working with me and then wound up getting fired. So basically he was taking notes on other people in the newsroom, people he felt were liberal um, or gay or um, you know, black, conservative, whatever, like people he had issues with. And he emailed management saying like, we should get rid of these people and here's why. 
It's my dog whining. I think my girlfriend's <laughs> home. But um, he felt that, you know, that people should be fired and not allowed to work at the network. He felt victimized. And I thought it was interesting because they fired him, I think, mostly just because they didn't want to be found liable for his behavior. But it wound up putting a target on other people's backs to the point that management actually created a list um, of people's politics. And from what I've been told by other peers, they started to get treated differently based on the intel that was gathered, you know, from this man. And so he thinks he's a victim. He actually, you know, maybe, maybe he's a victim of his own stupidity because he got fired, but everyone else had to deal with a lot of bullshit because of, what he did Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, like he just just from what i was reading i'm like this is an idiotic person because i did read about um how he got fired and things like that um Mm. which i'm like yay (laughs) that's what you get um but yeah so before we move on to our final topics i have to kind of be mindful of time here but i have a question for you if you had to do it all over again, knowing what you know, would you? If I had to do it all over again, no, to be honest. Like even being proud of my book and making something out of a negative experience, I probably wouldn't. I would. What I would do is I would accept the job um, because that's that facilitated me being able to move and start a new life. But I would immediately start looking for work other places. Um, I wouldn't have stayed for a year, um, even though I was trying to do it to better my career, I would have just moved on. Got you. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it over again either. Um, Cool. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a second to ask me the two questions that you sent over. Mm -hmm. And then we'll ask me the first one and then like, I'll sling it back your way. And then you can ask me the other one. Okay. So which questions did you choose? I actually sent you four. Yeah. So I think I chose the first one and the second one. First one and the second one. Okay. Let me pull them up. I actually remember the first one. So I know from following you that you are a huge Beyonce fan. Mm -hmm. So if it were up to you, let's say Beyonce hired you to do her PR. Um, When the time comes... And she wants to announce her retirement. How would you want her to approach that? Well, how would you announce it? Would it be an album, a farewell tour? Like just break down how you would tell her to navigate that. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this question for a hot minute uh-huh. and I still don't know if I have like an answer, but I was just thinking, and for me, Beyonce has always been innovative and creative and pushing the boundaries and um been impactful and she's you know she sets the standard so I would want her to announce her retirement in a way that holds true all of that whatever that may be but I will also want her to share herself like at this stage that she's in with the world because I feel like now she's at a place where she's so whole and full and knowledgeable of herself in a way that she wasn't in her 20s when she was doing more of her media interviews and 
um, her commercial runs and things like that. So I would want to see her do a full on media blitz at the end and just share herself with us now um, mm. at the end. So yeah. that's how I would have it. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, this is a tough question. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Beyonce's too. Not, not like you um, or my <laughs> girlfriend, but I know, especially the last 10 years or so, she makes a lot of her own decisions. So like, I, I don't even know how you two would work that out if she, if she did choose you to do that. Right. <laughs> but um, I asked you this when we, we talked about this offline too. I asked you this kind of because um, I'm a big LeBron James fan, big basketball fan. And um, he's, you know, coming, he's definitely got more in the rear view than in front of him. And I was thinking about that too. Um, and you asked me to to share that when we got on the podcast. And I mm -hmm. think um, to non-sports fans, I always explain like, when they ask like, why is there so much interest in him? And because he was so great at such a young age, he has the unique experience of, he's not only playing against his competition, he's playing against history. Um, and that's, I think, why there's so much discussion. Like since he was a teenager, it was, is this person gonna be as good as, you know, whomever, Jordan, Kobe, 20 years ago, whoever were the, the icons. And that's has been consistent throughout his career. I would like it if um, the Lakers or whatever team he's playing for, because um, I know he wants to play with his son, who might be in the league in a couple of years. But whoever he winds up playing his last season for, I would like that team to be really bad, actually, because mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to worry about the playoffs or any of that like it would just be <clears throat> basketball um even if even if the games weren't all that good it would just be about basketball because so much of his career has been I think that's why so many people don't like him actually is it's hard to enjoy him without having an opinion on certain things and like all the his like his place in history so yeah I actually hope um that's what happened with Kobe his last year the Lakers weren't very good and it set like a date because they weren't going to make the playoffs. So the last game of the season was it. And everyone just relaxed and enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I remember Kobe's last game and I remember mm. watching it. Um, I was a huge, I am a huge Kobe fan. Mm. Um, even though he's gone, I'm still going to speak like he's present because his spirit is. Sure. Um, and, you know, seeing him, I think he had 60, 61 points. Mm. And, it was just a moment. It was basketball, um, like you were saying. And, you know, it, it pulled me in. Like, at the same time, Golden State Warriors were playing um, mm -hmm. to beat the record <clears throat> of the Bulls. And it's like, that was like a huge moment. And I was a fan of them, too. But that Kobe moment was a Kobe moment. Like, it was like he said, just straight basketball. And that's something that people want. Just straight hoops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's hop into the second question. Yeah. My second question was, I wanted to know any fun trivia or history you can share with me about your hometown or home state. Like where, when people ask where you're from, whatever you say, like, tell me something about that. Yeah. So I'm from Augusta, Georgia, um, 706 to the day I die. Um, and something that I can tell you about my hometown. So, um, downtown Augusta there was this haunted pillar or so-called haunted pillar mm -hmm. um 
allegedly as it goes slaves were sold there and so like people called it haunted because of the spirits and the souls and you wouldn't go down there you wouldn't touch it like that was just something that you didn't do um but someone actually hit the haunted pillar and knocked it down and everybody's like oh they're gonna be cursed but we never found out like what happened to that person after that so but that's something from my hometown oh wow yeah that's crazy yeah i um i love ghost stories i'm from um <clears throat> sacramento and there's a lot of gold rush and like native american like stories things like that that's that's a good one though i don't i don't know how i'm gonna top that or if, if i should <laughs> try to but yeah augusta how far is that from like atlanta proper yeah so from atlanta it's about a two and a half hour drive okay cool yeah. All right. Um, I don't have anything else. If you do, I'm I'm game to keep talking for a little while. But um, bef- you know, if if we're ready to wrap up, I just want to say thank you. And I've been a fan of your. I started listening in 2019. Um, so after like actually right after the time period in this book, um, I had a lot of free time because um, I wound up getting let go from One America, and I had you know, money saved and I was privileged enough to take some time and figure out what I was going to do next. And I remember reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of podcasts. And that's where I discovered you. Actually, do you remember how you and I started following each other? I I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. But I remember you tweeting your podcast out and that I would listen to a lot of them, like every single episode for a good year or so. Thank you. And I truly appreciate that. And it's crazy to hear, like, because people ask me when I started and I'm like, I don't remember. And so it's like to hear 2019 and here we are in 2022, heading into 2023. And it's like, you know, I'm still going. And I think it's because of the listeners, like, you know, I really appreciate people who tune in when I say it every episode, I mean it like, I appreciate people who listen to my voice, who lift me up so that, and so that I can do my mission and purpose of lifting up others and doing good work and putting good vibes out there in the universe. So, yeah, like I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for participating in this episode. I've had a blast. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. All right, y'all. So. This is the wrap up for this episode. Um, Be sure to tell your friends. Um, Be sure. Let me do a quick plug. Shout out the name of your book real quick so they can check it out. It's right wing and right is spelled um, W-R-I-T-E, like written word. Um, Right wing, what I saw, heard and learned working in President Donald Trump's favorite newsroom. And that's available on uh, Amazon. Awesome. So y'all heard the man. Please go get the book. Check it out. Read it. Share that with your friends. Share this episode with your friends and tune in for the next one. And until then, be safe. Sending you good vibes, love and light. Bye, y'all.